section six of the white wolf and other fireside tales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch. Victor, Parts 4 through 6. Part 4. For with that laugh they began to love him. They did not or at any rate miss bracy did not know it at the time for some days they watched him and he the unsuspicious one administered a score of shocks as again and again he took them neatly and decisively at unawares he had accepted them at once and in entire good faith they were with just the right recognition of their seniority good comrades in this jolliest of worlds they were his holiday hosts and it was not for the guest to hint just yet at the end of the holiday he surprised them at every turn his father's canvases filled him with admiring awe oh but i say however is it done as he stood before them with legs a trifle wide he smoothed the top of his head with a gesture of perplexity and mr frank standing at his shoulder with legs similarly spread used the same gesture as miss bracy had seen him use it a thousand times yet the boy had no artistic talent not so much as a germ for beauty of line and beauty of colour he inherited an impeccable eye indeed his young senses were alive to seize all innocent delight his quickness in scenting the lemon verbena bush proved but the first of many instances but he began and ended with enjoyment of the artist's impulse to reproduce and imitate beauty he felt nothing mr frank recognized with a pang that he had failed not only in keeping his torch bright but in passing it on that the true self which he had missed expressing must die with him barren and untransmitted the closer he drew in affection the farther this son of his receded receded in the very act of acknowledging his sonship with a gesture smilingly imprehensible with eyes which allured the yearning he baffled and tied it to the hopeless chase mr frank who worshipped flowers was perhaps the most ineffective gardener in england with a trowel and the best intentions he would do more damage in twenty minutes than miss bracy could repair in a week she had made a paradise in spite of him and he contented himself with assuring her that the next tenant would dig it up and find it paved with good intentions 
the seeds he sowed and he must have sown many pounds worth before she stopped the wild expense never sprouted by any chance dormant my dear laura dormant he would exclaim in springtime rubbing his head perplexedly as he studied the empty borders when i die and am buried here they will all sprout together and you will have to take a hook and cut your way daily through the vegetation which hides my grave but victor who approached them in the frankest ignorance seemed to divine the way of flowers at once in the autumn he struck cuttings of miss bracy's rarest roses he removed a sickly passion flower from one corner of the cottage to another and restored it to health within a fortnight within a week after his coming he and miss bracy were deep in cross-fertilizing a borderful of carnations she had raised from seed he carried the same natural deftness into a score of small household repairs he devised new cradles for miss bracy's cats and those conservative animals at once accepted the improvement he invented a cupboard for his father's canvases he laid an electric bell from the kitchen beneath the floor of the dining-room so that miss bracy could ring for deborah by a mere pressure of the foot and the well-rope which deborah had been used to wind up painfully was soon fitted with a wheel and balance weight which saved four-fifths of the labour it beats me where you learned how to do these things his father protested but it doesn't want learning it's all so simple not like painting you know mr frank had been corresponding with the boy's headmaster yes he is a good fellow said one of the letters just a gentle clear-minded boy with courage at call when he wants it and one really remarkable talent you may not have discovered it but he is a mathematician and as different from the ordinary book-made mathematician from the dozens of boys i send up regularly to cambridge as cheese is from chalk he has a sort of passion for pure reasoning for its processes of course he does not know it but from the first it has been a pleasure to me an old pupil of ralph's to watch his work style is not a word one associates as a rule with mathematics but i can use no other to express the quality which your boy brings to that study good lord groaned mr frank who had never been able to add up his washing bills he read the letter to miss bracy and the pair began to watch victor with a new wonder they were confident that no bracy had ever been a mathematician for an uncle of theirs now a rector in shropshire and once of emmanuel college cambridge where for reasons best known to himself he had sought honours in the mathematical tripos and narrowly missed the wooden spoon had clearly no claim to the title whence in the world did the boy derive this gift his mother 
miss bracy began and broke off as a puff of smoke shot out from the fireplace it was late september deborah had lit the fire that morning for the first time since may and the chimney never drew well at starting miss bracy took the tongs in hand but she was not thinking of the smoke neither was mr frank while he watched her they were both thinking of the dead woman the thought of her the ghost of her was always rising now between them and her boy she was the impalpable screen they tried daily and in vain to pierce to her they had come to refer unconsciously all that was inexplicable in him and so much was inexplicable they loved him now they stretched out their hands to him behind her he smiled at them but through or across her their hands could never reach as at first they had avoided all allusion to her and been thankful that the boy's reticence made it easy so now they grew almost feverishly anxious to discover how he felt towards his mother's memory they detected each other laying small traps for him and were ashamed they held their breath as with an air of cheerful unconsciousness he walked past the traps escaping them one and all at first in her irritation miss bracy accused him of what she of all women called false pride he is ashamed of her he wishes to forget and is only too glad that we began by encouraging him on second thoughts she knew the charge to be undeserved and odious his obvious simplicity gave it the lie moreover she knew that a small water-colour sketch of her in her youth a drawing of mr frank's stood on the table in the boy's bedroom miss bracy often dusted that room with her own hands and frank she confessed one day he kisses it i know by the dullness on the glass when i rub it she did not add that she rubbed it viciously i tell you she insisted almost with a groan he lives with her she is with him in this house in spite of us she talks with him his real existence is with her he comes out of it to make himself pleasant to us but he goes back and tells her his secrets nonsense laura mr frank interrupted testily for some reason or other the boy is getting on your nerves it is natural after all natural yes i see you mean that i'm an old maid and it's a case of crabbed age and youth my dear laura i mean nothing so rude but after all we have been living here a great many years and it is a change frank you can be singularly dense at times must i tell you in so many words that i am fond of the boy and if he'd only be as fond of me he might racket the house down and i'd only like him the better for it mr frank rubbed his head and then with sudden resolution marched out of the house in search of vicator 
he found the boy on the roof removing a patent cowl which the local mason had set up a week before to cure the smoky chimney my dear fellow the father cried up you'll break your neck come down at once i have something particular to say to you victor descended with the cowl under his arm do be careful doesn't it make you giddy clambering about in places like that mr frank had no head at all for a height not a bit just look at this silly contrivance choked with soot in three days the fellow who invented it ought to have his head examined it has made you in a horrible mess said his father who took no interest in cowls but lost his temper in a smoky house i'll run in and have a change and wash no put the nasty thing down and come into the garden he opened the gate and victor followed after dipping his hands in the waterfall the fact is my boy i've come to a decision this has been a pleasant time a very pleasant time for all of us we have put off speaking to you about this but i hope you understand that this is to be your home henceforward that we wish it and shall be the happier for having you victor had been gazing out over the cove but now turned and met his father's eyes frankly i have a little money he said mother managed to put by a small sum from time to time enough to start me in life she did not tell me until a few days before she died she knew i wanted to be an engineer he said this quite simply it was the first time he had mentioned his mother mr frank felt his face flushing but your headmaster tells me it will be a thousand pities if you don't go to cambridge i am proposing that you should go there should matriculate this term my dear boy he laid a hand on victor's arm don't refuse me this i have no right perhaps to insist but i dare say you can guess what your acceptance would mean to me you can choose your own career when the time comes for your sake your mother would have liked this ask yourself if she would not mr frank had not looked forward to pleading like this yet when it came to the point this seemed his only possible attitude victor had removed his gaze and his eyes were resting now on the green sunny waves rolling in at the harbour's mouth for almost a minute he kept silence then yes she would advise it he said it was as though he had laid the case before an unseen counsellor and waited submissively for the answer mr frank had gained his end and without trouble yet he felt a disappointment he could not at once explain he was the last man in the world to expect a gratitude which he did not deserve but in the satisfaction of carrying his point he missed something and surmised what he missed the boy had not turned to him for the answer but had turned away and brought it to him father and son would never have the deeper joy of taking counsel together heart to heart part five 
so victor went up to trinity and returned for the christmas vacation on the heels of an announcement that he had won a scholarship he had grown more manly and serious and he smoked a tobacco which sorely tried miss bracy's distinguished nose but he kept the boyish laugh the laugh which always seemed to them to call invitingly from the door of his soul why don't you enter and read me the house is clean and full of good will come but though they never ceased trying they could never penetrate to those inner chambers sometimes though they might be talking of most trivial matters the appeal would suddenly grow pathetic almost plangent what is this that shuts me off from you we sit together and love one another why am i set apart time was when he had seemed to them consciously reticent almost of set purpose but now it was they who looking within the doorway saw the dead woman standing there with finger on lip he made no intimate friends at cambridge yet was popular and something of a figure in his college which had marked him down for high perhaps the highest university honours and was pleasantly astonished to find him also a good cricketer his good looks attracted men they asked his name were told it and exclaimed bracy not the man trinity is running for senior wrangler with this double reputation he might have won a host of friends and his father and miss bracy would gladly have welcomed one in hope that such companionship might exercise the ghost but he kept his way liking and liked by men yet aloof with many acquaintances censorious of none influenced by none avoiding when he disapproved but not judging and in no haste even to disapprove easy to approach and almost eager for goodwill yet in the end inaccessible his first easter vacation he spent with a reading party in cumberland there he first tasted the sacred fury of the mountains and mountain climbing and in switzerland the next august it grew to be a passion he returned to it again and again in cumberland playing at the game with half a dozen fellow undergraduates whom he had bitten with the mania but in switzerland during the long vacations giving himself over to a glut of it with only a guide and porter for company sometimes alone if he could ever be said to be alone as in mathematics so in his sport the cold heights were the mistresses he wooed the peaks called to him the rare atmosphere the glittering wastes he neither scorned danger nor was daunted by it below in the forest he would sing aloud but the summits held him silent as an old pastor at zermatt told mr frank he would come down from a mountain like moses with his face illumined 
he started on his third visit to switzerland early in july and in the second week in august miss bracy and mr frank were to join him at chamonix and thence the three would make a tour together he started in the highest spirits and halted at the gate to wave his ice-axe defiantly part six the clergyman who ministered to the little tin english church boarded at the big hotel which kept a bedroom and a sitting-room at his disposal they faced north from the back of the building which stood against the mountainside but the sitting-room had a second window at the corner of the block and from this the eye went up over a plantation of dark firs to the white snowfields of the col and the dark jagged wall of the aiguille de gaunt distant yet as clear as if stenciled against the blue heaven it was a delectable vision but the clergyman being short-sighted as a mole had never seen it he wore spectacles with a line running horizontally across them and through these he peered at mr frank and miss bracy as if uncertain of their distance mr frank in a suit of black sat at the little round table in the centre of the room pressing his finger-tips into the soft nap of a gaudy french tablecloth miss bracy stood by the window with her back to the room but she was listening she too wore black the fourth person at the little clergyman's elbow was christian the guide it was he who spoke while mr frank dug his fingers deeper and the clergyman nodded at every pause sympathetically and both kept their eyes on the tablecloth the pink and crimson roses of which on their background of buff and maroon were to one a blur only to the other a pattern bitten on his brain it must have been between noon and one o'clock the guide was saying when we crossed the coal and began on the rocks i was leading of course the hare next and michel this was their porter behind we had halted and lunched at the foot of the rocks they were nasty with a coating for the most part of thin ice which we must knock away but not really dangerous the hare was silent not singing he had been singing and laughing all through the morning but in high spirits he kept his breath now for business i never knew him fatigued and that day i had to beg him once or twice not to press the pace michel was tired i think and the wine he had taken earlier had upset his stomach also he had been earning wages all the winter in england as a gentleman's valet and this was his first ascent for the year so it may have been that his nerve was wrong the first trouble we had with him was soon after starting on the rocks we were roped and at the first awkward place he said if one of us should slip now we are all lost the hare was annoyed as i have never seen him and i too was angry the more because what he said had some truth but it was not you understand the moment to say it after this we had no great trouble 
until we had passed the place where Herr Mummery turned back. About thirty meters from the summit, we came to a bit requiring caution, a small couloir filled with good ice, but at a slope. So, here Christian held his open hand aslant, but Mr. Frank did not lift his eyes. They anchored themselves and held me while I cut steps, large steps across it. On the other side there was no good foothold within length of the rope, so I cast off, and the hare came across in my steps with Michel well anchored. It was now Michel's turn, and having now the extra length of rope brought across by the hare, I could go higher to a rock and moor myself firmly. The hare was right enough where he stood, but not to bear any strain, so I told him to cast off that I might look to Michel alone. While he unknotted his rope, I turned to examine the rock, and at that instant Michel did not understand or was impatient to get it over. At any rate, he started to cross just as the hare had both hands busy. He slipped at the third step. I heard and turned again in time to see the jerk come. The hare bent backward, but it was useless. He was torn from his foothold. The little clergyman nodded and broke in. They were found close together on a ledge two thousand feet below. Your son, sir, was not much mutilated, though many limbs were broken, and his spine and neck. The bodies were found the next day and brought down. We did all that was possible. Shall I take you and madam to the grave? But the guide had not finished he fell almost on top of michel and the two went spinning down the couloir out of sight i do not think that michel uttered any cry but the hare as the strain came and he bent backwards against it seeking to get his axe free and plant it though that would have been useless the hare cried once and very loud such a strange cry madame will be glad interrupted the clergyman again who had heard christian's story at the inquest madam will be glad he addressed miss bracy who as he was dimly aware had been standing throughout with face averted staring up at the faraway cliffs the young man's last thoughts but christian was not to be denied he had told the story a score of times during the last three days and had assured himself by every evidence that he could tell it effectively he was something of an egoist too and the climax he had in mind was that of his own emotions in recrossing the fatal couloir ropeless with shaking knees haunted by the Englishman's last cry. Such a strange cry, he persisted. His eyes were on mine for a moment. Then they turned from me to the couloir and the great space below. It was then he uttered it, stretching out his hands as the rope pulled him forward, yet not as one afraid. Mother, he cried, just that and only once mother mr frank looked 
looked up sharply and turned his head towards miss bracy the clergyman and the guide also had their eyes on her the latter waiting for the effect of his climax it must be a consolation to you the clergyman began to mumble but miss bracy did not turn mr frank withdrew his eyes from her and fixed them again on the gaudy tablecloth she continued to stare up at the clean ice-fields the pencilled cliffs she did not even move so bassett was avenged End of section 6